of Expanding Beyond. As always, I have Monica with me today. Monica, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. I'm doing pretty good. A bit sleepy, probably because of the weather. Also, what we're going to talk about today. So it's a lot of work, but uh, overall, I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to finally being able to travel again, at mm -hmm. least within Germany. So yeah. I plan for a long weekend. Oh, that's so, nice. Yes, I have good things to look ahead. What about yeah. you? I built some IKEA furniture today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> with with two kids, so that took a bit longer. So I'm a bit tired as well. Ooh, I can't imagine. Now there's more space because it's a, a sort of a bed that's high up, so you can have a desk and stuff underneath it. Is it for you or no, for the it's kids? For one, for the ten-year-old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So she has her own cave? Yes. Okay, then I guess that if you are tired, we should get started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my last two weeks, there wasn't a lot of programming going on, at least work-wise. There was a lot of other stuff and that got me, I mean, that was one of the things that got me thinking about teams and the role of a manager and do you need one or not and all that stuff. Yeah, maybe... Let me set up the scene with, with how we are organized. So I work at a fairly small startup. The development team is four full-time developers and one part-time freelancer, a working student or two that are sort of part of our team, but also not really. <laughs> yeah. L like it always is. And our manager or, well, there's basically just the CTO, but by now he's pretty hands-off. We handle our own process mm -hmm. so we, we we work on that on our own and decide what to do what to change we as we are such a small company we basically also write all the stories and then sometimes we even try to write the code if there's time left <laughs> <laughs> and if you uh, if i listen to you it looks like a software developer's paradise it, on, on the one hand, it's pretty cool because it's the first time where I work in what I think can really be described as a self-organizing team. On the other hand, I don't know. Sometimes we have a bit of an issue because if recently a new developer joined and it was somewhat unclear who is in charge of onboarding mm. and then it sort of moved around from one developer, did a bit, and then we basically forgot about it again. And then we realized that there were some things being done in a way that isn't the way we do them. So someone else stepped in and then we got into discussing, do we need someone uh, who keeps an eye on this? And does that need to be a formal rule like a manager or a team lead or something? Or is this just another responsibility of us as a team? And we hadn't just, we did just didn't think about it. And we just need to, for the next time, we just need to, clearly define that one of us is in charge of that. And then we thought about some more and we think, yeah, we don't really have any any input into roadmap kind of things because that's just decided by the CTO and someone from product management. If we had some kind of managerial role in the team, I guess someone might be part of such roadmap discussions because by now I think the CTO is a bit out of the loop and doesn't always have enough information about how how difficult or simple things are in our setup. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is we some of course for the for the rest of the company this is sort of a bit of an alien setup. 
that there's no boss. Yeah. So it feels at at least it feels like they pick a developer at random to talk to if they have something. And that's of course for us sometimes also difficult because someone talks to one person some and then to the next and then someone has half the information and the other person has the other half. Yeah. I don't know. I'm 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 totally unsure what, where to go from here because on the one hand it's kind of nice this setup that we have here or have had for a, maybe a year already to sort of we are all equals basically and we decide stuff together on the other hand maybe it would be interesting to have an explicit role for that what are your thoughts <laughs> yeah it's uh, <laughs> listening to you it looks in a way my brain is always like duh that's obvious uh, that people will pick a random developer because they, as you said, you're all equal for them, uh, for whomever comes out of the team, that's the development team. Therefore, I'm just going to go and talk to one of them. But as you said, the more complex the structure becomes, the organization becomes, the more you need a way to control more than anything information flow. That's my yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is sort of the the big thing, right? Yeah. If if the if you have one person and that person talks to everyone and is in all the meetings, then at least one person knows everything and can say, "Hey, this idea of yours is nice, but have you thought about this and that that someone else told me?" Exactly. So I, I see mostly three things that make me think that yes, you might need a manager, uh, or uh, you can call it a manager. You can call it. Uh, leader, lead, whatever, someone that uh, is the voice of the of the team. Let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it has formal authority over the team, but the team has decided that that person is going to be the spokesperson for them. So I believe that it's still possible to have a self-organizing team and someone that acts uh, as a representative of that team, even if you don't have formal leadership uh, over the team, it might get a little bit more complicated if conflict arise. But from what I'm hearing in your case, that's not the case. Yeah, it's it's an amazing team. It's the best team I've ever been on. It's it's really crazy good. That's really cool. So for me, the, the areas I'm thinking about is this information flow that I was telling you about and one personal after years of of thinking about this one personal belief of mine is that when we talk about product we very often think about the product team and we see the product as a, something detached from engineering from software development it's mm -hmm. product is something that you make but it's not really your concern as an engineer. As an engineer, your concern is the code, is the uh, pipeline, is the, I don't know, it's the operational part. Um, what I started to, to believe depends, of course, on the company, but if you are in a product company, if you are making something, whatever that is, engineering is product as much as any other function in the, in the company as much as sale, as much as product itself. Without engineering, you have an idea. You don't have a product. Mm -hmm. For having, for building your own product as a company, you need someone, uh, a function within the company that 
takes care of making it and ensuring that what you're making is a good thing. It's sustainable, it's scalable, maybe not to the extent of Twitter or whatnot, but you see what I mean. Like something yeah. that is resilient enough for uh, making your company, like bringing com your company value. Yeah. So there is this aspect and the fact that very often engineering doesn't have any voice into the roadmap, as you just described, that that is trying to cook a meal without a cook. How can you do that? <laughs> yeah, and I've so not here, but but at a previous job, I this is uh, product management and the and engineering were totally separate. And after a while, you could really tell how how this separation really led to a drop in motivation in for, for the, all the developers because somehow they didn't really even know why they were building stuff and why exactly. that what they were building was even important for uh, what they did and in the end that led to a lot of developers actually leaving so even from a company point of view it's kind of important it's pretty expensive yes it's one of those costs that you don't perceive strongly but it can slow you down yeah. substantially and when you notice it's generally too late already exactly The third aspect that I was thinking about is when you talked about onboarding and uh, how things weren't necessarily done as you, uh, as a team agreed for being a self-organizing team and having this kind of shared culture, shared principles for working in a, as smooth a way as possible, you need to have this initiation to the to the team and especially in the early phases of a company when the team is small and and the like this knowledge sharing happens in a personal way most of the times mm -hmm. so this means that you have to have someone that takes care of passing along this information and tries to ramp up people as much as possible so i see sometimes the manager as the one person that can help maintaining a certain kind of culture because it's reinforcing certain kind of messages also. This is the way we behave. This is the aim we have. And this doesn't mean that you have to go and dictate people, this is the way you write code. But the philosophy behind the team, that's where I see the manager being able or the lead being able to crystallize this into a, a, a set of shared and agreed Uh, I am a big believer of consensus, um, mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah, I, I think part of our our problem also stems from the fact that most hires previously were really, really senior developers. So in that sense, there the, the onboarding generally isn't that problematic because they know what to ask and where to look and when to not just do stuff but figure out how how the others want to do with it they are generally pretty good at that but once you hire some developers that are not as experienced as that it, it easily results in, in 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 stuff like that where you suddenly for uh, don't do the onboarding really good and then you afterwards you wonder why someone is doing something you didn't expect i totally agree with you. it's it's just Like, I, I strongly believe that a team, because that's, that's also what I've witnessed, a team that is 
advanced to senior can be able to self-organize and might not require as much input as a team with much more mixed experience levels. There is another aspect. I don't know how it is at the moment, but like, as you told me, there is, to my understanding, no product manager assigned to your team. I mean, the, the, the company is too small to have, have really one person just doing one job. There, there is someone who does the product management, of course, but he also has other stuff to do. Exactly. So what I mean in this case is that when you have a team that is, like in my case, is not composed only of engineers, but you have other functions in there. You have product, you have the design, uh, you might have other team members that are less present. I think in Scrum, sometimes they are called stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So you have someone from sales that is assigned to your team, someone from customer support. There's so much variety of experiences and also way of working that not having this reference person for the engineering team can increase the chaos and the team becomes inevitably less self-organized because you also have many more people within the team. It's not only the development team anymore. Yeah, that's true. It is also for us, sometimes we wonder, do we even have the authority to tell someone else to do something in a certain mm. way, right? That's, that's also sometimes why stuff maybe doesn't get done as quickly because yes, we do agree to a certain extent that we want to do that. But then in the end, there's still the hurdle to actually talk to someone who can decide things. That's an interesting thing. I, I, the, the one person that we expect to take decisions, who is that person, right? Uh, I was having this conversation with a colleague during this week and his take is that it should be more Like he sees more in our case, the uh, the technical lead of the team to be the one taking the decisions because compared to other functions, they might have a better understanding of different aspects. Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% agreeing in the sense that it's not always the case. And, and the same thing can be said by if we're talking about a product manager, for example, they might have some understanding of what the technical aspects of uh, things are. So why shouldn't they, the one taking the decision? I'm, I'm a bit ambivalent. Uh, I haven't made my mind yet on mm. who is the person that should take decision. Is there even such a person in the end? Yeah. I mean, obviously, in, in, in the first place, it would be nice to to have everyone come together and decide stuff together. On the other hand, I, I also don't believe in complete, let's call it anarchy for being <laughs> uh, controversial. Consensus-driven decision-making takes much longer and it might end up at an impasse. That is true, especially uh, the bigger uh, the team gets. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, there's there are certain things where, where it's kind of clear who decides what, I mean what gets built next is basically a product management decision, right? Yeah. Developers give the input on how long it's probably going to take and how difficult it's going to be. But in the end, they, this is not our, as developers, not our role to decide what to exactly build, right? 
where I think it it's it's more difficult is how how the teams are organized and how processes work and stuff like that. I mean on the I mean on the technical side, of course, the developers decide mainly the stuff, how to build stuff and what kind of architecture makes sense. But yeah, it's always the the stuff with the people that's difficult. Yes, <laughs> the stuff with the people. I like the way you put it. <laughs> that makes everything more complicated. Mm. Yeah. And that's why in the end, I mean, you can pick your language, you can pick your architecture, you can pick your processes, but in the end, what is making it or breaking it, in my opinion, is the ability to interact with uh, with other human beings. Yes, so that, really, that's so much more important than what language you're using and I guess also how experienced the developers are. And and I think you said it also some some time ago, maybe you know, in one of our pre-recording cases. There are people that are introvert and there are people that are extrovert. That has somewhat to do with how to handle people and relationships. But you can be a very good speaking partner, or you can be uh, very empathic if you are introvert. That very often I have the impression that. People that don't like to uh, let their guard down, or uh, or that uh, are entrenched in their in their own beliefs, use the excuse of being introvert for behaving like fundamentally little children. <laughs> yeah, t- today I'm, I'm I'm dropping a couple of bombs. I hope. <laughs> we I am confident our audience is. Uh, Mostly people like us chill. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out if you find out soon, I guess. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, I think that helped. Well, I guess this will be an ongoing topic for the next yeah. weeks and months. Do you have so, the impression that there is someone that is emerging as a natural leader within the, the group? I mean, there's candidates. I mean, we talked about it and then we were somewhat unsure do we even need to do that? Mm-hmm. Or is the more important step to figure out what the actual responsibilities are? And then once you basically have a list of things that the team does, then maybe you don't need a manager or team lead and you just sort of divide up the the responsibilities and you still are a self-organizing team. My two cents, I think that that's the way to go. Very often as humans, and you see it everywhere when, when you work, people jump to a solution because that's the, it, nobody likes to be in an uncomfortable position, right? Mm. Uh, and that's why you try to solve, you try to uh, remove the pain, uh, physical or not, it doesn't really matter, but you try to remove it as soon as possible without really prodding into what is really the issue we are having here. And you might end up not having only one uh, problem or there's not one diagnosis for the problem, but at least you have listed the possible diagnosis and then you try to apply solutions for those problems without diving in immediately into into the solution space. Yeah, that's true. And I guess it also helps that you need to explain stuff like this to to the boss or other people in the company and then you actually need to understand 
why you want to do a certain thing. Yeah, totally agree. All right. I don't know if there will be an update for the next episode already, but at some point there will be another part where we talk about this, yes. I guess. I guess so. <laughs> All right. So that's already quite a bit about stuff happening on my side. What What's new? What's new with you? Uh, we are uh, very much aligned in our endeavors here because I was like, <laughs> this is a very nice segue in my focus for the past two weeks. Uh, mostly my attention was focused on, we are in the in the process of building our next, oh, this is a funny word, it's called tertial in English. Uh, it's a planning cycle of four months or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. In the company, nobody can really pronounce it, so we are going for turtle because it's just funnier. <laughs> uh, so we are doing uh, this strategic planning. And as a new but not really new manager, I was like, okay, so what does that exactly mean? What is strategy? And that's why I'm saying that it's a very nice segue because I've been reading this book on strategy. It's called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy by apparently one of the most renowned professor on, on the topic. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those books that probably you could cut in half and it would still be good. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not a lot of fluff, let's say. It's mostly trying to reinforce the message. So I think it's just repetition for the sake of being sure that the message is passing. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of examples. So that's also good uh, for someone like me that had this need of imagining things in in a real uh, environment in order for understanding better the concepts. The, yeah, that's that's always helpful. I know, right? Yeah. I was like, don't talk to me about theory. I can get the theory. Just give me an example now and then I can mold my idea around that. Uh, so the, in the book, one of the fundamental part of uh, strategy is exactly this, the diagnosis. The author is saying that strategy is a way to solve a challenge. So you have to understand what is the thing that is challenging you at that moment in order to come up with a strategy to overcome that challenge. And if you think about it, it's kind of obvious, like most good insights, I guess. Mm, that's true. <laughs> As I said, very often we jump into trying to ease the pain and in doing that, we oversee all the other options that are out there. So it, it has been an interesting couple of weeks because there are a lot of moving parts at the moment and everybody is kind of like making stuff up as we go. Um, mm -hmm. So this doesn't mean that people are not good at their job. It's just that that's what humans do. Every time you face something is new every time it doesn't matter how many people went through it uh, in the past it's always new <laughs> that's my uh that's my main focus for the past two weeks it's a lot of uh new tools new uh new processes new um uh, concepts even uh, and this is where uh, also my idea of a team being composed of these many functions and product being made by everybody really so a product is not just product, it's engineering, it's sales, it's UX, it's user research even. Come from because I see 
how many in how many ways you can address the same problems. It's been a fascinating and very teaching couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So, so what exactly is your role in this this strategic planning? Is this some kind of you do your thing and you, the other mad managers do their own, or do you then some sort of come together and plan together? We are planning together. So we have some direction, of course, given to us by the exec team. So there are uh, objectives that the company wants to achieve. Uh, and these are the challenges that we need to solve, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That we need to overcome. But the functions are coming together to try to solve the problem together. We did a, a, a few workshops together with different functions, with the different teams. And this time around, I was thinking about that when you told me about the roadmap. We also got the chance to, for engineering as a department, to think about, okay, what do we really need to do? To uh, what, are, what are the things that we believe are important for us to do so that we can support the company in its growth? Mm -hmm. So there were a few brainstorming sessions, both for department, for crew. And when I say crew, I mean the cross-functional team that really works on delivering features and for extended teams. And this means not only the product engineering crew, but also the reference people from marketing, from data and uh, UX. So getting together and coming up with different plans to solve the same problem. And then mm -hmm. we all got together and tried to play Tetris with our ideas. <laughs> <laughs> does this answer your question? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Because sometimes I just start drifting away and I'm not sure if at the end of the answer, I really answered the question of the person. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. That That's just that that's how it was done in in previous jobs. We are just at this point a bit too small to even for that to make much sense, I think. Yeah. Uh, but soon enough when there's more hires than suddenly all that stuff will have to be added. Yeah, I find it interesting because if you think about what what BHH and Jason Fried uh, has, have been saying for a while now, like, do you really need to grow past a certain point for being considered successful? Depends on where you want to go, right? Mm -hmm. There's this traditional VC-funded direction where you just want to grow and sort of money is being pumped in mm. and you don't really make enough money uh, to pay for everything right mm -hmm. and then there's the other side where you're basically 100% financed by by uh, your customers paying you I, I think we as a company without giving away too much I think we are somewhere in between okay. which is already kind of good for a startup I guess mm. but I think still this is that direction. We, we are still sort of a a startup and there the idea is still, yes, eventually you need to grow and be successful in that way first. With all this, the issues that come with growing fast, of course, yes. which can go wrong pretty, pretty easily. Pretty easily. Uh, that is also something that has made me wonder in the past. I also experienced it a couple of times. A bad hire can be so expensive over time. Mm -hmm. Like even just onboarding someone not the right way is already a cost for, and 
I'm not only talking about money. It's really like human cost, even uh, the burden on on the rest of the team, the frustration, the friction that that it creates. Uh, and these are things that are very often overlooked when thinking about growing fast. They go, we need mm. more people. Yes. Yeah. But have you thought about your onboarding process and then and that every new person you add will basically mean you have to start from scratch again in the team, right? I haven't yet found a way to have an onboarding process that looks the same with every hire I've ever made, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Because the situation, especially when you are in this phase of not being a corporate, there is no formal established and by corporate it doesn't have to be necessarily like a super big company but i'm thinking about gitlab for example gitlab has a very nice onboarding process you can find it online like they use a git repo with all the functions described in there and items that you can tick so if you are an engineer you go to the engineering section and you see all the things that you need to learn that you need to do in order to be fully onboarded And they do this for all the departments that they have. And it looks very straightforward and very structured in a way. I am wondering if this is really how they make it in the end. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a certain amount of structure that's probably helpful to have, at least as a guideline on what to cover yes. and how, how long to support someone and to actually think about supporting someone which is where we are i guess right now <laughs> yeah one of the things that worked and is working pretty nicely for us is the concept of a buddy so you have a buddy that is assigned yeah. to you the first day and it belongs to a different department than yours so you have someone somewhere else and this helps also bridging the the gap between the different departments mm -hmm. but this is more like someone that guides you into the culture and the relationship that we have within Freeletics. So here is how we all have lunch together in the kitchen. Here is the habit that we have when we train. Um, these are the people that you should know about, things like this. And we are mm -hmm. trying to introduce in a more structured way also the concept of the body within your what we call your academy so it's your platform team if you are a backend you are assigned to another backend developer that helps you being onboarded into the way we do things in the backend uh, at Freeletics so it might be pairing with you for a while or it might be um, showing you around a few things in the code it, it is the one person where we try to lower the barrier of being afraid of asking questions right Yeah. You know that this person is there for you. Yeah, that's important to have. All right, so let's wrap it up for today. Um, you can find us online at expandingbeyond.it. If you have uh, any feedback, you can also email us at hosts at expandingbeyond.it. Um, where can they find you online? You can find me online on Twitter, of course, at kfmolly with an I. Uh, you can find me on GitHub uh, as Nearnath. You can find me uh, on DevTube, same, Nearnath. But you can also write to me at host at Expanding Beyond. And you can find me as UJH on Twitter and GitHub and on my uh, personal blog, urbanhafner.com, even though I'm not posting much there. Well, 
as yeah. almost everyone does. <laughs> All right. So uh, talk to you next time. Bye bye. See you next time. Bye.